My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is, is Anamorphology. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The Alien. The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The Underground. The Decision. The Spoke. The Departure. The Second Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Mutation. The Violation. The Deception. The Suspicion. Resistance. The Unexpected. Sacrifice. The Diversion. The Beginning. Time to talk about Ted's favorite book, Book 41. The Familiar. <laughs> this one. Yeah. Hashtag this one. <laughs> Ted has so, been looking forward to this I know for how so I feel about it. I've heard a little bit about how Jenny feels about it. Wait, how is that? Jenny, how do you feel about this? I mean, it's my favorite book. She's lying. <laughs> I want to hear how you feel about it, Gray. I have just a, one quick question for you guys. Um, what the shit? <laughs> What? I am unfortunately unable to answer that question. Right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I also am not informed on that subject. I don't understand many of the things that happen. If you didn't understand it, how did you feel about it? I didn't feel good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't viscerally hate it like I viscerally hated 37, for example. Yep. But I, I really didn't like it. It's definitely in the, I think it's in the bad quadrant. <laughs> I'm waiting to, you know, do our discussion so that maybe I can be convinced otherwise. But I, Ted can make some arguments. I don't, yeah, so I don't know. This was the one that, like, when I was like, are there bad Animorphs books? I knew that this one was a bad Animorphs book. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think I tried to read it with an open mind. I think there were probably interesting things to take out of it. Mm-hmm. But I really, really, like, viscerally don't like it. <laughs> So I actually kind of liked it. Yeah. <laughs> what? No, I, I mostly just wanted to see if Ted would get really mad when I said that. I was really set up. I knew about the twist at the ending, and I was set up to think that it was going to be like 37 level bad because Ted hated it so much. Okay. And so I think I was able to appreciate the interesting parts of it and like be surprised every time I was like, oh, I kind of like that. Okay. It was it was very good like expectations management for me. So mm-hmm. I I don't think that this is a good Animorphs book, but I was pleasantly surprised by it. Okay, so the key here is lower your expectations. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so would you like to be reminded of? Yeah, Ted. What can you give us the sixty second summary? Yeah, it might be tough to keep it to sixty seconds. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm gonna just do your best. Yeah, I'm gonna start now. So. In this book, the Animorphs have a really tough battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot like the beginning of Megamorphs 4, um, but Rachel and Marco almost get left behind. At the end of the battle, Cassie is broken, and it feels like she's going to quit the Animorphs, and Jake can't even bring himself to comfort her. He's falling apart. He goes home and has an awkward confrontation with Tom, but he's just like so exhausted. He let Tom see him in his morphing outfit. He, he falls into bed with like Tom's shadow on the doorway. And then he has a really long bad dream, and when he wakes up, he calls Cassie and apologizes. The end. <laughs> Perfect. An excellent summary. Yes, that was well, great. Then. How many seconds was that? It was a little more than 30 seconds. Very All right. Great job. So this is the level of detail it takes for us to get to 60 seconds. summary. <laughs> exactly. Good to know. So yeah, this is the this is the one where it was all a dream. Mm-hmm. And I think the things that I'm going to want to talk about are like giving it the benefit of the doubt as a psychological study of Jake. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What does it say about what Jake is going through right now? Yeah. And I actually quite liked the chapters that I just discussed where they yeah, have a really yeah, tough fight yeah. at the beginning 
And the way that Jake wakes up and reaches out to Cassie, I, that's actually a nice arc. Yeah. yeah. The dream nonsense is like, so, it's terrible. Ted, I know you already did a summary, but in case some of us have forgotten the dream, which was the vast majority of the book, like do you want to tell us? 120 of the 144 <laughs> pages of this book were the best. Do you dream. want to fill us in a little bit on what happens in yeah, the Yeah, okay, dream? okay. So Jake wakes up, he wakes up in a dream, and he keeps thinking, is this a dream? Is this a dream? This couldn't even be real. But he's he's found himself <laughs> 10 years older, so he's we learned that he's 25 in the dream, so he's 15 in normal Animorphs time. Ish, he I don't wakes think it's ever in, quite that clear-cut. It seemed pretty clear-cut <laughs> to me that that was the math they were doing. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But he wakes up, and he's in this like Orwellian future in New York, where the Yorks have won completely. They've not only crushed humans, but they've crushed Andalites. Jake is a controller. He has his assigned work role in society, and you know he has to take the subway to the science center because he's a scientist or something, and everything's really bad, and he doesn't know whether he can morph or not. He doesn't know what's happened to the other Animorphs, and he gradually uncovers what is happening in this vision of the future, and uh, he learns from a hardened terrorist infested but still resistance fighting Cassie that there is there is kind of an ongoing resistance to uh, the York Empire um, that's involved in like blowing up Manhattan buildings and doing stuff like that and Cassie is like yeah let me refresh your memory so Jake you just you finally lost it you know Tom figured out you were the leader of the Animorphs he infested you and then the rest of us all got chased down Rachel got killed it was really bad so and then this whole future happens. So, like, obviously it's all your fault, Jake. And Jake's like, oh, no, I screwed up. But, like, maybe I can somehow still go back and stop it. Or, like, how, well, you know, what's happened to me? Cassie's doesn't seem particularly, like, thrown for a loop that Jake has just shown up out of nowhere. And he kind of has no memory of what he's been going through, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's a lot of, like, horrible stuff with taxons. If you like reading about how close <laughs> taxons are and how scary they are, this mm-hmm. book has lots of that. He... Eventually uncovers, so Cassie says, hey, you're a scientist. We need you to help us use the laser on the Chrysler building. Because what are the Yerks planning, Ted? Yeah, what are they so planning? The Yerks are, have this laser, like a Death Star-style laser, on the Chrysler building. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That it's covered in a mylar sheath. Is that the word that they yes. use over and over again? Mm-hmm. Yep. There's a mylar sheath that somehow is important to what this plan is. Mm. They're going to shoot a laser at the moon and turn yeah, it into are. a Candrona-style sun. Yeah, sure. Um, so the Cassie want just wants Jake to sabotage this mission so that instead they blow up the moon. <laughs> yes. Um, and rain moon parts down across all of Earth. Um, uh-huh. Hopefully disrupting civilization enough that, you know, when it grows back again, there will be, you know, it'll be free and not otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jake is like, yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> he finds out that Marco has become Visser 2 uh, in this timeline. He finds out that, is Axe just dead? Axe became a controller who helped with the takeover of the Andalite homeworld. So he's just not around. I think he's not around. Um, Tobias was the only Animorph who escaped. He's thought dead. His ghost... Slash actual Tobias appears sometimes, and then it turns out that Tobias had, like, acquired Axe, and then got really old, so he looks like Elfangor and is part of the resistance movement, and Rachel actually isn't dead, uh, but she's in a wheelchair, she's, you know, been horribly disfigured by what she went through, and she's also part of the resistance, Jake meets a bunch of free people below the surface of the Earth who are in this, like, multi-species, chi-esque paradise. 
And then the end of the book basically boils down to he's at the Chrysler building and he has this pivotal decision to make. Is he going to blow up the moon <laughs> and perhaps save the world? Or is he going to keep Marco and the Yerks from killing Cassie? Uh, and so it boils down to this choice. And the first unforgivable thing that this book does <laughs> is that Jake makes the choice and wakes up from the dream and never reveals to us what the mm-hmm, choice is. Mm-hmm. Classic Jake. He's the not choice tell was us. to burn down Joe Bob Finestri's house. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so it's and you know, sure, sure, whatever. But like, it's 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 really getting into what Jake is going through. But it refuses to commit uh-huh. to one thing that Jake would do or the or or another. Right? Mm-hmm. We're done um, about it. Yeah. The next thing is. As he is coming out of this dream, when he has made the choice, there is an Elemist-like voice in his head that says, Interesting choice. We shall have to study these humans further. Boopity boop boop. You know, <laughs> I don't remember what it says, but I'm, and I'm going to spoil this for you, Gray, because this is why it makes me so angry. This never comes back. What the f***? Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is, this is one I didn't of, know that. And Ted told me that. And this I thought isn't way just like This isn't just like Garatrons don't make an appearance again levels. This is like, if you're going to have the, it was all a dream book and then have this thing at the end where it's like, maybe it wasn't all a dream and there's some higher power that's not the Alamist or Cryak and you don't follow through with it. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So that that's why to me this is the it was all a dream book because I, okay. I can't even acknowledge how stupid that is. But, but don't worry, Ted, because I figured out who the voice is at the end. But, oh, no. Okay, this is how the voice is described. A strange voice, old and young, male and female, echoing in my mind like distant thoughts speak. So it sounds like it's a blend of different voices, right? Like a bunch of different voices that have all been mashed up. This is Mogul. No. No. (laughs) This is Mogul with his hologram technology having just like, he's gotten even richer off of his subscription plan. And, uh... Now he has decided to claim godlike power for himself. I mean, thank goodness 37 is canon. That makes total sense as an explanation. It's, it's a good effort, Julia. I, I still really hate this. The book. thing that I got most annoyed by at this moment is that it it wasn't... So at other times, Jake says, oh, maybe it's an, the Elemist. Like, this feels like an Elemist thing. I don't really know what's going on. And it's, it's, it's all just a dream, oh, whatever. And, right, he has this really... I actually like this part. He has this, in terms of it's all a dreaminess, he has this horrible, horrible nightmare bit where he's, like, in his Yerk office, and suddenly mm, mm-hmm. all of the people in his office turn into, like, cor- living corpses. It's, like, really scary, of the, horror nightmare right, type thing. Of the controllers he has killed. Yeah. So he sees the way that he personally killed each of these yeah, people yeah, in his yeah. office. Terrifying. But the this, like, non-Elemist voice shows up, and I was like, oh, good, another godlike figure for me to hate. <laughs> Not so much. And they do, it doesn't come back? It doesn't come back. I'm very annoyed by that. Yeah. So my understanding is that there is some, like, fan-in that is, has tried to reconcile this with yeah. some things that happened later in the series or, like, other parts of it. But it definitely it definitely doesn't come back. Because doesn't, when we meet the Elemist and Cryak, isn't there a thing about forces above them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but the Elemist does say yeah. there are things more powerful than me, or whatever. Okay. There's but just there's nothing in, not there's a... nothing in canon okay. that you can even you can even connect without doing a lot of work. I am very annoyed by that. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, unreasonable. That's... It's it's such a cop out. Like they just they just did Megamorphs Four, which was such a well done. Like this isn't real. Let's like see how things could have gone, and then go back to reality. And, like, there's a reason for it. It's, like, nicely connected with, like, Jake's choices. 
subtemporally grounded thing is kind of a cheat, but like it's a it's otherwise like a well done book. And this one is just like, oh, uh, we don't know what to do. I don't know. Jake has a dream and it's scary and he has to but make moral choices. Why can't you just have it be Jake has a bad dream? Right? Yeah. That would be That's sort of question. annoying. But yeah. Animorphs has done plenty of goofy like Okay, now then they all do more from Anteater and go about their business. You know, like, it's, <laughs> it doesn't need to have, like, that weight. You're right, because that's sort of in line with the weirdness of Cassie is subtemporally grounded. We can't just have it be the Drode doesn't like the way this is going, and so he's giving them another choice. It's, oh, there's a sci-fi thing that is explaining this. And this is another one, like, uh, this sci-fi thing is explaining it. What? We won't explain the sci-fi thing. Just tell you the I would be one. curious to ask them whether they, like thought that this was go like I, Where, did they think this was going somewhere yeah. I wonder if it was like they felt like it was all a dream was a cop out and they threw this in later on or if they had an idea that was like this was going to go somewhere mm-hmm. and they just decided not to if go they that thought direction. it was going to go somewhere I can forgive it a little more because right. if it's like I don't know it's all a dream is a cop out so let's throw in some like totally bogus sci-fi stuff we'll never return to because that's not a cop out yeah Putting in a godlike figure, no, that there definitely isn't a term for that from like you know ancient <laughs> dramas. I didn't like it. Yeah, <laughs> just because people can't see my facial expressions on our, they can imagine them. Yeah, I was wrinkling my nose a whole bunch. They've seen like you it. on the live stream now, and they they know what you look like when you're displeased with a book. I didn't like it. It yeah. just made me. It made me very annoyed. I mean, I also part of the reason I think I was annoyed was. I find narratives where it is deliberately obscure, like things are happening and then something completely different is happening and there's no explanation. We never come back to this. And then in this one, they explain it by, and it was all a dream. But before that point, it's like, I need you to give me either a little more or a little less exposition. One of those two things, because where you are here, it's just frustrating to me that I'm not... Like, I felt very dumb for not being able to follow what was happening. Yeah, because it doesn't actually make sense because it's a dream. Because it's a dream, yeah. And there yeah. were threads that kind of, like, Tobias. Uh-huh. Why did, like, a ghost Red-Tail Hawk keep appearing? Tobias yes. wasn't in Red-Tail Hawk form anymore. No, he was an, he was an Andalite Noplet, possibly, question mark. Who looked like <laughs> Elfengor, possibly, but question mark. <laughs> that, that bit where Tobias shows up also was very dreamlike in the way mm. that he's like, oh, it's definitely Elfengor. And, and then, then suddenly he's like, oh, it, it, is, it is Tobias. Anymore. Yeah. Like, yeah. that feel, but again, they sort of lean into that dreamlikeiness a little bit of it, but yeah. not enough, to right. your point, not enough to really, like, get in that headspace of, like, right. we're just going through Jake's subconscious, and isn't that a fun place to be for a while? Yeah. yeah it, so, I didn't remember this book, but I did remember that it was the It's All a Dream book, mostly because I, like, I sort of knew that that had happened, and I, I remembered its existence enough that when Ted was like, yeah, there's an It's All a Dream book, I was like, oh, it's 41, right, okay. So I read the whole thing knowing it was a dream, and that was better, I think, because otherwise I would have been frustrated trying to figure it out. Of course, that's not the way it's intended to be read, Mm -hmm. because you pick it up, you don't know it's going to be a dream. But it was like, it was sort of fun, especially like going through after having read the whole thing and like looking for like notes and things to talk about. Like, I sort of enjoyed like, oh, this is sort of a nod to the dream likeness. This sort of makes a lot more sense when you think, oh, Jake's subconscious is generating this. But like, it was not actually dreamlike. Yeah. Like, this was not the restless episode of Buffy where they're actually having these dreams and it's impressively like what a dream is like. Mm-hmm. This is way too narratively coherent. Yeah. And he's making decisions and has like a timeline of what's happening in his mm-hmm. brain that has some internal sense as dreams don't normally i mean down to like he wakes up at this time Mm -hmm. and has to do these things read numbers on a clock yeah 
Yeah, and if you were going to do a Jake is Having Nightmares book, it would have been so good to have it, like, take place over a couple of nights. Like, he's mm, losing, you know, like, yeah. really deal with just, like, this toll it's taking on him. Because the, the bookend bits are so good, like, where he's really falling apart. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's just, like, you don't need as much attention as the dream bits get in order to, like, deliver on that. Right, yeah. it's like... But they weren't trying to be like, Jake is having a nightmare, because you don't know. Like, they, they were never trying to communicate that to us in mm-hmm. the narrative. It's just like, he's inexplicably 10 years in the right. future. So they just wanted to write a book that was Jake's dream. Right. Well, no, but... Is For it... some reason. I guess it's like, they wanted to explore the thought experiment of, like, what if the Yerks win? Yeah, what if what the, the Yerks failed like? today? What would happen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the thing is that we've seen that plot before, mm-hmm. um, least once that I can think of, right? There's like that in, in seven? seven. Yeah. Right? And so... And we just saw a different kind of counterfactual in yeah. Manuel's Road, which was so much better done. Right. So I wonder if part of my frustration is seeing this as retrodding ground done less well. Yeah. yeah definitely. Yeah. That is so what it is. Yeah. And it's like, it also projecting into the future this way doesn't work with the same kind of small universe logic that you can get away with mm. in the series. Right? Mm. Like, because it's like, it only makes sense in a dream that he's going to run into Cassie and Marco and, his and dad. Rachel and Tobias. Oh, yeah, and his dad. dad. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Why his dad and not Tom doesn't mm-hmm. actually make any sense. Like, yeah, why isn't Tom in his dream? Yeah, that's it's so, That's actually, like, a weird really thing. weird. Yeah. And there's yeah. all this weird stuff where he's like, I saw him. He looked familiar. My memory. And then it's like, in the next page, he's like... He looked. Ex- he was my father. He he looked exactly the same as when I'd last seen him. I was like, "Did you not recognize him? Yeah. Is this just because it's a dream, and that's why you can morph sometimes, and sometimes you can't because it's a dream?" But like, I don't know. You can't get away with that, and also tell the story as if it's not a dream, it right? Just... And I mean, and what I found annoying about that was that sometimes they called it out and like uh-huh. you know lampshaded it of like. Who would have guessed in a city this large that you would run into all these people? And sometimes it was like, no, it's very reasonable that this would be, you know, Rachel would be your contact because she's. <laughs> of course, it's to easy to sneak again. a person like, in a wheelchair with only one limb into this, like, yerk location. Right. A, it was the kitchen <laughs> of a yerk cafeteria. Yep. In the middle, yeah, it just didn't make any it's really annoying because it didn't make sense and you can't even like fully get mad at it for not making sense because it was a dream and so it kind of has that like get out of jail free card but it doesn't it, yeah. I can still get mad at it yeah no you yes yeah. you can yeah I'm very capable of doing that but it's like really trying to have it both ways it's like telling a coherent narrative even though it's a dream but like oh if it doesn't make sense in places that's fine because it's a dream i guess right the thing that's frustrating is i think a lot of the world building is like these are the real consequences of your potential Mm -hmm. failure jake but it's not so undermined by it being stuff that ends up being a dream or like Mm -hmm. is like calculated to get him to make this choice or like whatever Mm -hmm. you if even if you wanted to allow the like interesting choice human Mm -hmm. bit at the end it's like it's not quite the same as the Elemist being like, yeah, I really need you to step up because if you had been a little more reckless with Tom, here's the future. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, yeah. that's kind of what the, the this plot is supposed to be doing. But yeah, and it's yeah. not that plot, like, it's just not that plausible, like, the right. stuff that falls out. Like, maybe the idea, they all get infested, but Rachel gets herself killed and Tobias escapes. 
Maybe that's plausible, but where it goes from there, it doesn't really. I feel like track. the effects on the animorphs don't really make sense. Like where yeah. the animorphs are now make yeah. no sense. Like they're some of the most dreamlike parts of it. But I don't. I don't know. Do you think that the like effects on civilization are implausible? I know definitely more what happens to oh, Cassie okay, and yeah. Marco. Like particularly like Tobias and Rachel like don't make any sense. Why would Rachel be so physically affected if she can morph? And he asks that, and then is like, "Oh, I better not say that out loud." It's like. Well, no, this is like, a really good question. <laughs> Unfortunately, you won't get a good answer because it's a dream and things don't make sense. But yeah. yeah. And like Tobias is like in Andalite form. He like nothleted himself for some reason, even though morphing is like going to be his best asset in like this fight and is like hiding in the library is like. And then did he? Because then there's a red tail hawk and it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So this is probably something that I should cut because I have no idea if our listeners will get this at all. But like. In hearing you talk about, like, the dreamlike logic, it actually reminds me of nothing more than the Metal Gear Solid video game series by Hideo Kojima, where it's, like, basically the game exists as, like, a series of, like, dramatic plot twists Uh that don't make any sense, and then are later justified by adding an incredible amount of lore with, like, oh, well, there were nanomachines, or, like, he's actually part vampire, (laughs) you know, like, just trying to, like, throw everything at the wall to see what sticks. It's like, you get presented with these dramatic scenes between him and Marco, or him and Cassie, Mm -hmm. and then it's like, you have to do so much work to explain why. It's like, so I think it's like, with the morphing thing, it's like, oh, well, Maybe the Yerks also invented this like morph disruption technology, and that's we never part get of an why answer they for that, even. Well, of course, right? And it's like because it's a dream, right? Well, maybe Tobias, you know, Tobias is stuck in a Saria rip where his ghost hog, you know, like he split into two personalities, and one stayed as a hawk, and one became an Andalite. You know, like it's terrible. Yeah, I also think that some of the character moments, as you were saying, like they don't make any sense, Rachel mm. and Tobias in particular. But I think the Cassie arc also in the dream does not serve to provide the Jake arc needed for the bookends. Mm, Because the Cassie in this kind of dream future is this, like, badass warrior who is on the side of the, whatever the hell they're called, the The EF. And she's she's jaded. She's like, like, I see how war works. I was naive. And Jake is like, no, Cassie. No, you're still Actually, Jake's like, this is my fault because of that one time I didn't comfort her. Right. Right. I set her and Tobias on this path towards ruthlessness, which, like, I can understand feeling guilty about his role and what they've become, but also that's, like, super self-centered. Like, this one choice on your part is why they chose to become these terrorists. Yes, it's all about you, Jake. Well, and he actually says that to Dream Cassie at one point. He's like, oh, it's all my fault for that one really bad battle we had at the wherever it was. And she's like, I don't even remember I that. I completely forgotten that. Like, <laughs> so much other stuff has happened. And by seeing her in this kind of battle-hardened warrior who does not have any of the sweetness and light that is Cassie as he knows her, in theory that provokes him at the end to check in on her and see how she's doing after this terrible mm-hmm. battle. But what actually happens in the dream is Cassie, who has been actually fighting this war, mm-hmm. as far as we know in this universe, is aware of the consequences of her action and Mm -hmm. is making deliberate choices for the betterment, for what she believes to be the betterment of the world. Right. We can argue about what happens when you blow up the moon, and we will. But (laughs) (laughs) from her perspective, she has made this decision. And Dream Jake... I'm so glad we will. (laughs) I think that is a little too long for an episode title, but I really want it to be. (laughs) 
And Dream Jake is like, your decisions don't matter to me. Yeah. It's like all about Cassie for him, but he he sort of is valuing her and like her existence and his ability to be with her. Because he's like, maybe we'll get one more moment together. Like over her actual like decisions. He's valuing her instead of respecting her. Right. Like treating her as like an independent person. Yeah. And that drives me crazy well, in narrative. Yeah. I think it is, it does come across as like a weakness or like it's not well thought through. But I, I do think that that is a valid reading of Jake's character. Yeah, I do. Because he, like we've talked a lot, especially more on this read, we've talked a lot about this undercurrent in their relationship where like he, uh, was it in 31 where he kept being like, I'm not going to talk to Cassie mm-hmm. about... I'll talk to her later. I'll talk to her later. I'll talk to her later. She can like absolve me of things. Like, and he kind of wants her to be, he wants her to be this safe and unaffected place that he can return to while he makes the hard decisions. And Mm -hmm. so there is something in that here, but I don't think the book wants him to come across as badly as he does. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so it it feels like it's a miss, but I do feel like it's Jake-ish that he, (laughs) at some degree is fighting for the happy ending with an untouched Cassie as he is fighting for the greater good, right? Like, that seems in uh, sort of like a thing that is real to his character. Yeah. Do we want to talk about his decision that he has to make at the end? Not the decision he does make, because we can't talk about that, because he doesn't make it. Oh, he makes it. Oh, we don't don't get to see it. it. Yes, you're right. Yeah. So it's like, it's such the classic, like, Spider-Man situation. It's like, do you save the woman you love or the bus full of children? Except in this case, the bus full of children is the entire world. Kind of. Kind of, but you're not exactly saving them. You're, like, giving them hope for the future. The book is not really questioning that blowing up the moon. I mean, it does question it, but in terms of, like... <laughs> Are you sure you don't want to talk about blowing up the moon first? <laughs> I kind of do. Uh, but, no, the, the decision at the end, like, it seems to be coming from a place of, like, saving Cassie, you save Cassie, but blowing up the moon would be better for humanity. Like, that, it seems to have kind of mm-hmm. settled at that at that point. My personal theory for why they don't show us the decision is that it's really morally indefensible to save Cassie, mm-hmm. but, like, showing him doing the other thing is just so unpalatable from, like, a narrative perspective. Because we're so trained on narratives where, like, the people whose faces you recognize matter more because, you know, you care about them because they're the characters and characters making decisions for the greater good, which Jake and the Animorphs make all the time. Like, it would be so much better for them personally in the short term Mm -hmm. to not fight this war. They're constantly putting themselves in danger. He does, in, like, the first or second chapter, decide to leave Rachel and Marco behind, right? So, And it's not like he's never made a decision like that before. He's always putting them at risk. And it wouldn't make any sense for him to choose... Cassie, but also I feel like they didn't feel like they could show him saving the world instead without having it seem mm-hmm. unlikable. I don't know. They just didn't want to attempt that. Yeah. What was your What was your reaction to it, Greg? I think that's right, that it, it would be difficult to show that choice because you're either doing something that's very un-Jake or something mm. that's very un-the Animorphs as a whole, mm. right? Like, Yeah, that's a good point. You know, like they're that. putting themselves out there to save humanity, therefore he should choose to destroy the moon instead of saving Cassie, or... Mm-hmm. But they're also in the fight for one another, and specifically Jake is there to protect Cassie most of the time, so he can't disregard her mm-hmm. in favor of the larger mission. So, I mean, I think it like it makes sense to me from an authorial perspective to be mm-hmm. like, I don't know, he made a choice. I'm not going to tell you what it is. <laughs> like, he made a choice. But I don't, I found it very frustrating. I'm going to give a reading of it that I think is like, I mean, this is another Jake thing where he 
doesn't come out and tell us things in his own narration. Sure. Like we've talked about this before, especially in book 16 with burning down the house. But so here's the moment before he makes the decision. So Cassie gets thrown off the building. Then a hand reached up. Three fingers gripped the ledge. Cassie's mm-hmm. hand. She wasn't gone. But in seconds, she would tumble to her 60-story death, a splattered heap for taxons to lick up. In seconds, the moon ray would fire, shooting from the Chrysler building the cannon with perfect aim and precision. Cassie's hand, the large red button standing out on Marco's control panel, shielded behind glass. The word abort etched on the cover. <laughs> Amazing. Cassie, the world. I knew what I had to do. <laughs> no time for indecision. I saw my goal. Save what should be valued above all else. I leaped. And then, interesting choice, right? So <laughs> This is, incidentally, one of the things that I sort of appreciated more on the reread. It's like, wow, this is the most cliche science fiction scenario. Like, your girlfriend is hanging from a platform by one hand, and there's, like, you're the supervillain with, like, the button that says abort to stop the mission. And I was like, oh, this is coming from Jake's subconscious. Okay. <laughs> that's why the Yurks, that's why he has to blow up the moon. Okay. It totally makes sense. This is completely dumb and cliche. Great. Um, but so, so, right. So here we have, I knew what I had to do, save what should be valued above all else. Right. So that's what we get of his decision there. Mm-hmm. And then in the end, he picks up the phone and calls Cassie. And she answers, hello, and he says, time stopped. Everything got extremely quiet except for the pounding of my heart. I knew now. I'd made a choice. I knew what I was made of, my limitations and priorities. It's Jake, I said. No response. It's Jake, I said again, voice quaking like I never talked to her before. As if this were the first call I'd ever made, the only call that mattered. Cassie, I just wanted to ask what I should have asked you yesterday. Are you okay? That's the end of the book. So, him saying, I'm choosing what needs to be valued above all else... And then his response being like, I need to call Cassie afterward. To me, it doesn't make any sense as like a story that you're telling unless he chose to let Cassie die. Mm -hmm. And this is him picking up the phone and being like, well, I, you know, like this is kind of the choice that I arrived at subconsciously and I need to try and reconnect and like salvage Mm -hmm. things. But Mm -hmm. he's like a little bit scared at what his dream made him do. Mm -hmm. I don't see it as like, I was willing to throw the world away because love conquers everything. See, and I sort of read it as that, but I hate it. Interesting. <laughs> I think there's space to read it both ways. Well, tell me, tell me more about just the, like, the way you read it. Choosing what had to be valued above all else read to me like you have to save Cassie. Like he says at one point when he's thinking about the decision, like what's the point of saving the world if like this one girl gets left behind? And like he definitely had some thoughts that were against that, but I feel like what had to be valued above all else, like that language communicates to me that he chose Cassie over everything else. So like the limitation there is, is that like, he won't sacrifice Cassie. Is right. What he's is it so he has to, I mean, I don't think we're going to arrive at a decision because right. no, I know, I know. I know. Well, and I think the only call that mattered made me read it more that he saved Cassie because calling her is the only thing that mattered. Mm. Saving her is the only thing. Yeah. So like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. on the one hand that made me think that he saved Cassie, but also maybe recognizing that like if he didn't save her then it was all the more important for him to call her afterwards and like check in mm-hmm. but again i just don't think that the dream narrative supported the arc that jake supposedly has over the course of this book i guess yeah i i do like i mean right taking a big step back i guess i like the what parts of himself is jake willing to sacrifice for the mm-hmm. animorphs mission right which has been a thing that he struggled with it's just like this is a really silly version of it Wait, great. I want to know. So what art do you think Jake is supposed to be having here? Like learning to not be so ruthless? Like what? Like not throw away his friends or his friends' feelings for the fight? 
I think it's more of like very specifically about his role in supporting Cassie mm, mm-hmm. in this particular moment. Okay. You know, one could take a step back mm-hmm. and say he's also learning about the possible consequences for his relationships with everyone else and not to be guilty about having possibly left behind Rachel and Marco on behalf of everybody else. Like we're getting insight into how he feels about being a leader as we mm-hmm. often do in Jake books. But I think his arc is specifically I did not know how to reach out to Cassie in the moment, even though she needed me to, to even though I don't exactly know how to do it, I'm going to reach out to you. And that that, in theory, because most of his dream is about his relationship with Cassie Mm -hmm. and figuring out what the hell is happening, that felt to me like what he was supposed to be learning or growing into. Mm -hmm. And then his relationship with everyone else in the group was kind of secondary to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because we don't get a resolution of him like calling Marco and Rachel and saying, hey, you guys, like, yeah, yeah, this was, this really sucked, but we, this was the decision that we have to make in the heat of battle, whatever. Like, that's not the resolution we get. We get, hey, Cassie, how you doing? Well, yeah. And it's also like the decision that he makes at the beginning where he's willing to, you know, let two of the Animorphs die to save the rest of them is way more realistic and mm-hmm. affecting than the absurd, over-the-top <laughs> sci-fi the scenario. Right, do I blow up the moon or save my, you know, former girlfriend? Yeah, and I think you're right, Gray, that, like, we get a very clear beginning and end of an arc. Jake doesn't support Cassie. Jake calls Cassie up to support her. Mm-hmm. But we don't get the connecting pieces... Right. And I think maybe the fact that they realized there was no way to substantiate that arc is why they didn't show us the decision. Mm. Possibly because it's just like, if he saves Cassie, she'll be like, you idiot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And if he doesn't save Cassie, I mean, it would be much better for him to not save Cassie. I mean, you you can't save Cassie, buddy. She's going to die either way. Yeah, but I think Jake's own guilt about that decision would have... I can Perhaps see why it would prompted be very to... difficult yeah. for him to make that decision. Yeah. Also, like, she's not Cassie, right? She's like mm-hmm. a Yurk. What's her name? Nis? Nis? Yeah. Right, so it's like the after in, in 19 problem of, like, how do you know that Karen is free? It's like, mm-hmm. Nis says that she and Cassie are, like, BFFs and they're fighting the Yurks together. So but, true. like, there's not, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's very mm-hmm. silly. Side note that we should cut, but do you remember, Gray? You probably haven't seen this one, Dad. There's, like, there's some Buffy episode where Angel's talking about how, like, Spike's like, okay, so we're going to destroy the world or whatever. And Angel's like, okay, no, I'm really more interested in killing this one girl. And Spike's like, well, she's in the world, so that works out. (laughs) (laughs) This is what I keep thinking about. It's like, Cassie's in the world, so maybe save the world? You can also feel free to cut this, but Spike's attitude towards, like, killing the world versus one person has very much informed my own villainy of, like, you know what? She's in the world, so that's pretty fine. I'm sorry, tell me more about your own villainy. Well, you know, like the Soraya part of me that's like, just shoot them. Like, that's a very... (laughs) I feel that Uh, watching Buffy and and Spike's very practical approach to just shoot them. practical approach to villainy. That's great. Has very much informed my... I'm so glad Feel you have had that practical approach to villainy aspect. Why would you, though? Because it's great. <laughs> anyway. So is there a Star Trek episode that is a similar, it was all a dream type premise? I don't remember one from the original series. Could be wrong. But I'm not the one to ask about the later later series. Do you know, Gray? I have no idea. We might need Lisa, to ask tell us. Yeah. <laughs> Friends who love Star Trek, Let us know tell if us. Gray can check off. They reuse the Star Trek plot. So let's dive back in. There must be more to talk about with this book, right? <laughs> so the opening is 
very grim. I remember reading the opening of Megamorph's 4 and thinking, wow, we haven't had this like visceral of they're all going to die in this battle situation maybe ever. Like certainly not as an opening. Like sometimes it's like, and we're fighting eight Hork-Bajir. Oh no. As like the climax of a book, but like it was so rough. And then I got to this one. I was like, oh my gosh, it's the same thing again. And kind of worse. And kind yeah. Yep. I really did not enjoy it. Here, here's a great passage from this middle grade series. <laughs> he faltered and I lunged forward, missed. His tail broke free and he slashed and carved a hole in my underbelly. I watched, stunned and helpless. Those were my guts, spilling from my body. I froze up for one instant too long. He pushed me down onto pipes that... My fur was smoking. My flesh scalded. Middle grade. Yeah. Middle grade. As a reminder, middle grade starts at eight or nine years old. (laughs) This is the kind of scene where I'm like, how are they still alive? Like, how did they... How does someone not die in that battle? Yeah. And having this happen two books in a row just is really driving home the like this war is so brutal for them it's just still going on they Mm -hmm. keep having these fights that are just incredibly Mm -hmm. tough there's no end in sight unless tom figures jake out and infests him and we jump 10 years in the future or murders him that murders him which is one of the ways this possibly got started (laughs) yeah also so in that same opening sequence right they're trying to escape they're very outnumbered each of them is fighting between two and six work bajir there are taxons coming and they're like trying to get out through this you know closing garage door type thing and marco and rachel are trapped on the other side both seriously injured especially rachel and marco says okay cut them off and we'll find some other way out and Jake thinks to himself, lose everyone or lose two. Mm-hmm. My note there is just these fucking books. <laughs> and so he decides, lose two, and begins to bring the door down. And then Marco and Rachel, like, make a break for it. Marco lifts the door up, gets Rachel through, goes through himself, and then shuts the door back down. Very, like, Indiana Jones style, right? Mm-hmm. And then it crashes down, and they are able to escape. It is... So brutal. This whole section was... Mm -hmm. I mean, I was reading this thinking, this is basically a horror book, right? It's like an an action book with some really visceral horror elements where these children are being nearly slaughtered every time they have a fight now. And Mm -hmm. it is really difficult to read. I mean, okay, I know this is a morphing thing more than like a, wow, these fights are really brutal thing, but... As they're demorphing, the guts that hung from my belly were drawn back mm-hmm, in. Mm-hmm. No, that's both. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and there's awful. this bit he talks about when he, or like Tom sees blood on his leg later. And there's this yeah. whole, it's almost like a Lady Macbeth thing where he's like, yeah, sometimes when you demorph, you're just still covered in blood from battle. Yeah. Like that really yeah. hit home for me. There was, there's another, one of the details from the battle that I absolutely loved reading, but was really horrifying. It's like Rachel's like the tank and her bear morph and stuff. And it talks about how like three hork are like standing shoulder to shoulder in kind of like a football charge and just like pushing her across the room yeah. and she's being like taken out, taken out of the way. And it's like, you know, it's so scary to see her like taken off the battlefield in such a yeah. mm-hmm. uh, efficient way. The blood still being on them after they demorph makes me think, like, demorphing, it's such, such a powerful thing. It's like none of the marks of battle are on them anymore, Mm -hmm. except that that's not really true. And, like, the blood is an outward manifestation of that. But 
I just flash to like the end of 16, I guess, when Jake and Cassie have this sort of verbal altercation about Joe Bob Finestre. And at the end, it's like Jake goes and shovels manure with her and everyone else comes over and we joked Mm -hmm. and we were us again for now. And it's in such contrast to the end of this mission when it's like, they're not them again. Like that sort of ability to go back to normal is falling apart. And Cassie has this really strong emotional reaction that Jake is like, why now? Why is she falling apart now? But it's just like, this it keeps happening. She's like, I killed so many Horkbajir in there. And he doesn't have the ability to comfort her. Marco and Rachel are like having this fight about Rachel's like, I could have killed them all. And Marco's like, no, you are like out of control. You couldn't see there was blood in your eyes. Your recklessness is like, Mm-hmm. gonna cause major problems and jake tries to step in but like can't really make peace and he tries to get tobias to keep lookout but tobias is like flying away and jake's like yeah ever since he got tortured he's been a little different i wanted to bring that up again so moody <laughs> it's the rhetorical questions what since you brought up rachel what did you guys make of rachel in this book it definitely is showing her on a path that is disturbing you know it's leaning into the the mean rachel side i mean it's it seemed still much more in line with her character than say 37 where who even knows but like that does seem to be the direction she's moving i was really Mm -hmm. struck by the very deliberate way she was described in jake's dream when it's like she only has one limb left and one eye and is almost unrecognizable as, like, having trouble breathing. And and it's still, like, everything she says is, like, aggressively, or she has this, like, violent energy about her, and it's, like, yeah. yeah. To me, again, that's, like, going to the same well as they went to with Taylor and, like, mm. all the other, and, like, Visser 1 and Visser. Like, her physical body has been totally maimed in this, like, way that's meant to provoke a lot of horror. Mm-hmm. She's used to be, like, beautiful and stuff. It's, kind of it's supposed to provoke Jake's guilt because he's like, I used her really. Like, yeah. I put her in dangerous situations. I resulted in her becoming this. Yeah. And yeah, it's the specifically physically based, like, oh no, the tragedy of the beautiful person who isn't right. anymore. Right. And it doesn't make any sense because she could just demorph. Like, physical body is not what defines Rachel. And like, right. ugh, I don't know, man. The thing about the Rachel in his dream is there's this weird not even through line it gets mentioned twice and never expanded upon and i'm probably just reading into this but there was a little bit where i had a sense that they were trying to be more aware of people with disabilities than these books Mm. generally are Mm -hmm. so rachel's comment to jake i mean they have this one very brief scene together where she's in a wheelchair and She says to him, don't let us down, Jake. It's not just our freedom in the balance this time. It's life itself. There are many more like me, injured or weak or different. So let's do it and do it right. And he's, you know, he says, her wounds chronicled my failure as a leader. It was more than I could bear. And and he kind of leaves her to do as she tells him to do to go and meet Tobias. But that followed a few chapters after the scene where he ends up in an underground tunnel with a number of people who are disabled in some way. Because it's like the Yurks have no use for them. Yes. Mm. Casualties of the fitness policy is what they call themselves. So fugitives, refugees, casualties. Casualties of the fitness 
policy. And they are in some way, it's a sampling of human and alien life where they are maimed or disabled, battle scarred, but it was the eyes that told the story, dejected, defeated, living death, right? So they are basically the people who somehow failed the fitness policy that the Yerks put into place, either because of physical or mental disabilities. And Jake is in there for like a hot second before he freaks out and runs away. But then having Rachel as a person with disabilities come back and say, there are a lot of people like me and that's why you have to fight, felt like maybe they were trying to make a through line, but actually neither of those gets developed really well enough for that to well, actually but be. But they also have the like, in the secret world where the children are free, they're also like physically healthy and well-nourished, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Which is kind of... Going yeah, the same thing. disability as like a physical representation of like tragedy Depression. rather than yeah. like, yeah, mm-hmm. rather than like, yeah, it didn't, it didn't feel like it was giving a very strong like people with disabilities are people too. It was no. like people with yeah. disabilities are like objects to be saved or inspiration to be pitied yeah. or, right, yeah. or a representation of Jake's failure. Right. Yeah, it was uh, not great. Could have been better. Yeah, yeah. We got some new aliens. Oh, they were cool. I wonder if they're real. Presumably not. I don't know. Do they? Or maybe they're the weird voices at the end. <laughs> they inserted themselves into Jake's dream. Yeah. So we have the Orf, the Orf, who are like the, I guess, enforcement troops for the, the Orf, Empire. The, yeah, for they some have, reason, they have evolved like you know, like butterflies or something. These very ostentatious visible organs uh-huh. that are not their real organs, but they're there to, like, provoke attacks. And uh-huh. Jake thinks, what if I hit them in the transparent part where it looks like there's nothing? Maybe that'll be their real organ. And, and it he, is! And it is! <laughs> Great job, Jake. And they have, they have pupils that orbit their irises, and their irises, like, change color, I guess, with, like, emotion. Yeah. And they have they're... one eye mm-hmm. in the middle of their forehead and three legs. They're kind of fun. They're okay. kind of fun. I now, I now have this headcanon where the Orf are the ones that are, they basically like only exist in people's dreams and like <gasps> extrapolate the future out from their, their like, oh, their memories and things. Goodness. And then they this try and great. like insert themselves into, into people's dreams. But they never actually are in the real world. I hate that. Right. Thank they have you. to create dreams so that they have somewhere to exist. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nope. I hate it. Mm-mm. Don't like that. Do you think they do this orphan? Oh, no. <laughs> These Don't worry, you're editing it. You can, you can cut that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was fun. <laughs> um, yeah, so they're the Orf, which is, it's weird that they are the uh, enforcement troops when, like, there are Andalites around who have weapon tails. Not many of them, though. Apparently not. But we do see a bunch of them feeding in a park very orderly. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Marco I, shows up. Yeah. Let's talk about Marco. Apparently Jake's vision of future Marco, he's going to be very tall and have a deep voice. Yep. Uh, that's what he's I don't think like. it's enough for the, the ship to sail, Disney. <laughs> oh, the ship doesn't need this. <laughs> Just saying. This is what Jake thinks about when he pictures future Marco. He has some deep angular battle scars. Mm-hmm. And cocky confidence. Oh, okay, wait. So none of these Animorphs seem able to morph, which you could just explain away by, like, it's a dream, it's weird. But 
What if they all finally finished going through puberty and then became not funded as adults? <laughs> oh, tragic. I know. I that, I it's terrible. It's a good thing Jake, despite being extremely large, has not finished puberty yet. That's true. In yeah. the actual series. I didn't know what world this was. I didn't know what time this was. A world before or after or parallel to mine. A bizarre reality that had somehow imposed itself on the one I was used to accepting. My own personal nightmare. And yes. my note is... Yep, it's that last one. <laughs> <laughs> you are. You were. Or rather, you will be. It all rests on you. Okay, we haven't talked about blowing up the moon. Oh, yeah, okay. Let's talk about blowing up the moon. So, the plan is that the Yurks are going to shoot a laser at the moon that's going to turn it into a giant Kandron array. That part sounds plausible, right? Sure, sure. Yeah. Because actually shooting a laser at the moon is what turns it into a sun. Uh-huh, right? magic. Yeah. yeah, like a sun, like the Kandron sun, whatever, from the other yeah. world. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, so, I mean, the formation of a new sun is like definitely a thing that you want to happen. Right next to your right planet. Right next to your planet. Right to your planet. Yes. Yes. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Yeah. And Such you definitely idea. do it by shooting a laser at right. the moon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and a moon-sized sun would be totally safe. Very safe. <laughs> yeah. And plausible, because there would definitely be enough mass to start the... Right. You know. or, or maybe the laser adds the mass, and it's fine to have something mm. that d- it suddenly get a lot more dense. Yes, I sure. see no bad side effects to the Yerkes plan. No, it's a it's a great plan. Uh, it does ensure that the Yerkes will no longer have to find, you know, a Yerk pool to feed from the Candrona rays, so that's uh-huh. fine. Can they shoot a laser, everybody. like a green laser at the sun and turn it green or something? Like... <laughs> the sun is too far away, Ted. Don't you know anything? Come on. That's not how science works. Once a laser gets into <laughs> space, it goes forever, Jenny. I know exactly how science works. Also, let's be clear that uh, this whole thing, very science. Yeah. Laser shooting at the moon. I mean, I just... Such I do still... I, I got to that part of the book and just cracked up. And I love it as the, like, the explanation is that Jake is, like, a dork who loves, like, science yeah. fiction stuff, but is not actually very imaginative. And it's just like, yeah, the Yerks are going to shoot a laser at the moon. Oh, no. Okay, except that in this dream, Jake is, like, in charge of that project. He's a planetary engineer working on the... Can we talk about how ray? the real implausibility of this dream is that a bunch of people get off the car ahead of Jake to go to middle management and that Jake is not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I did, I did yeah. slack Jake that is a little bit. definitely middle management. Not yeah. us. I guess his year was supposed to be a scientist, like whatever. Whatever, totally nonsense. <laughs> yes, ridiculous. So the plan is that rather than shooting the moon ray, the energy ray beam at the moon in order to turn it into a small Kendron radiating sun. Yeah. Instead, yeah. they're going to knock it off by just a little bit, and that will somehow, using the same technology but just slightly less precise, uh-huh. blow up the moon. Yes. Okay. So that's the plan. A uh, couple things about that. Um, <laughs> one, okay, um, what no, are you talking about? <laughs> the only way this makes sense is if, no matter what Jake does, the Yerkes plan will result in the moon blowing up. <laughs> yeah. Right, like... Yeah. If there's a chance that a slight, like, yeah. Yeah. I'm they can sure just they do have nothing. incredibly good modeling that so tells honestly, them that this is perfect. Consequentially, he should just save Cassie because the Yurks are going to blow up the moon and destroy Earth no matter what he does. It's a terrible plan either way. Uh, Cassie explains that he, yeah, she calls it a controlled burn of the moon. Again, what? Um, so they, they're going to, she's going to throw off the perfect targeting. Exploding the moon, Cassie says, will shower the Earth with debris. It will knock out satellites, destroy spacecraft, disrupt the entire Yerk social structure. 
and create an opening for attack by the the EF. I really can't remember what EF stands for. I can only think of education first. No, it's evolutionary evolutionary evolution forward maybe front front. They're the ones who are like, no, we should become not parasites. The other thing. Yeah, it's the Yerk Freedom Movement, yeah. but like symbiotes. That's the word, but like different. Um, it stands for. <laughs> now just, I'm determined. I just found this quote. Oh, Jake, the Yerks want the moon. <laughs> I know. I love it. It's, it's hilarious. The though. evolutionist front. Evolutionist front. The yeah. Yerk Rebel uh, Group. Unclear. Other things that will happen if Cassie's plan succeeds and they destroy the moon. Uh, uh, tides are gonna gonna go away. Um, mm-hmm. Not completely because tides are also driven by the gravity pull from the sun, but a lot. Yeah, and that is going to mess up any coastal ecosystem pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. More than that, it's also going to very throw off climate because mm-hmm. the tides and the way that they pull warm or cool air in and out of the ocean in various ways is a big part of our weather, our climate mm-hmm. as a whole. So that's gonna be bad. But it turns out over over the long term, the moon is also one of the reasons that our Earth tilts very directionally oh. and stays at a very steady tilt because mm-hmm. the gravity of the moon helps to counterbalance it. Mm. So we have this 23.5 degree tilt that's pretty steady. And as we rotate, that gives us very seasons. regular seasons. Yeah. Without Uh the moon, Uh that tilt is actually going to wobble a lot. And so rather than having regular seasons on each side of the Earth, what's going to happen is uh, some parts of the planet will basically never see the sun. And sometimes you'll have places where it's just all sun for months at a time because the rotational tilt is going to get completely thrown off. So it's not, you know, good. And that's just if the moon, like, disappears if the moon explodes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you remember that asteroid thing that happened like a few billion years ago and then uh-huh. we had dinosaurs and I didn't do. have I dinosaurs do. anymore? Because of yeah. Tobias. That. Yeah. Yes. It's like it's like what <laughs> Tobias did, but like for all of us, because mm. that's a whole bunch of meteorites or asteroids or whatever the right one is, uh, coming down through our atmosphere in probably pretty sizable chunks, given that the moon's not that far away, um, Mm -hmm. causing some pretty major disruptions. So yeah, lots of people going to die. Not a great plan. Yeah. I mean, Jake does sort of have this objection. And this seems to be part of the, there's a, a moral issue in the book of like terrorism versus what the animorphs do. Which I thought was an interesting juxtaposition, considering. Yeah, kind oh, do we of. want to talk about what Jake says to Cassie? Yeah, I actually, I mean, I kind of like this. But so this is when he's figuring out what the deal is with New Warrior slash York Cassie. Yeah, it's like Jake way overreacts. It's actually hilarious. <laughs> um, he's like, "You're a controller," and she laughed. What else would I be? My York's name is Nis. We're in the EF together. We cooperate to fight the council. I led the team responsible for the blast this morning. That's why the taxons like me so much. The damage will set them back, even though we didn't hit the... What? An uncontrollable wave of nausea nodded my chest. It was like hearing my dad confess to being a drug pusher. Or a murderer. It was an impossibility. Cassie, what are you saying? You engineered a blast that must have killed hundreds of refugees, the very people the EF is trying to help? That makes you a terrorist. How can you possibly justify that? In a war, Jake, anything is justified. She spoke with an unnerving confidence. I'm not a kid anymore. I'm not concerned with the nonsense I used to be. Like life and peace? You think that's nonsense now? Do you remember our last mission? 
the Ragson building battle, the come down. You needed to talk when we got out and I turned you away. Just didn't want to deal with it. I was an idiot that night, Cassie. You were on target with your doubts, just like you always were. You have to realize that. She laughed dismissively. You're talking about a different lifetime, Jake. There were so many missions back then, all just a pitiful blur of youthful idealism. You don't get it, do you? I'm saying that I finally understand war. Yeah. And then in the next chapter, her eyes glisten as she stands before him. There was the spark I knew, only it wasn't love of people or animals that put it there. It was thoughts of sabotage, terrorism, strategy. Also, I have more to say about this, but I want to call out an amazing metaphor that Jake creates in his dream, where they're in a theater, and she she runs behind a drop painted with a scenic country setting. There was a red barn and a green pasture, horses and farm animals grazed in the background. But no sooner had she disappeared than she burned a dracon hole in the faded canvas landscape and vaulted through. I don't care about farms and animals. I'm terrorist Cassie. Yes, terrorist Cassie. Yes. Yes. Yeah, good Um, job, Jake. Subconscious. It's a little on the nose, but I like it. A little bit. So I don't know. This, to me, now that I'm thinking about it, this dream logic makes sense to me. Because I often have dreams where, like, I talk to people and they just validate my own feelings back at me or like things like this like oh this is like a thing you know so it is kind of plausible that like jake probably he's trying to be like but cassie but cassie and she's like no jake those those thoughts that keep you up all night they're right war does justify everything i know that's what you really think and here i am and he's like what no (laughs) and he has the same kind of conversation with you know tobias who seems like elfingor at the end where elfingor is like i mean okay it's tobias i'm just gonna call him tobias where Jake's saying, like, I'd seen Elfinger murdered with my own eyes, yet here he stood. Could he be leader of the EF? Mastermind of a terrorist campaign against your control? And then Tobias says, it sounds as though you question our tactics. Sabotage and terrorist offensives make you morally uneasy. You want a better way. Is this too much for you? And then Jake's like, no, I want to go home so I can keep all this from happening in the first place. Which, it feels like this is... Like, maybe it's because it is a dream. I like what you were saying, Ted, about, like, sort of the two sides of dialogue in his head are, like, the external other people in his dream and him. Because I think Jake, by this point of the series, is no longer, like, I don't know, I can just keep all this from happening and then bad things will never happen to me and my friends. But, like, there's that side of him who wants to be able to do that. And then there's the side of him that's, like, you have to do terrible things in order to prevent terrible things. That's, like, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And he's he's about to drop some truth on Elfangor. I actually really like this passage where, because it's, like, he's he's confronting Elfangor and then he, he's, like, a little bit annoyed by him. And then finally he's, like, he gets angry. Uh-huh. And this is something that I'm sure that Jake actually thinks now. If he had yeah. a chance to meet Elfangor yep, yep. again, this is Absolutely. what he would say. It's all your fault. I said suddenly, surprising myself. I always thought of you as a hero, Elfangor, a leader. But the truth is you couldn't see another way out. You sentenced us to hardship, pain, and suffering. We were kids. You made us question every value we ever learned. You had no right to heap that weight on us, huge and impossible. You used us. Mm. And that's when, when he finally gets to say that to Elfangor, that's when Elfangor turns into Tobias. And Tobias is like, funny, you should say that. Yeah. You're using us, basically. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The we were kids thing. The there's like a really like a line that really killed me. So he there's this the weird sequence where he like meets the refugees who are all like sitting around a tree and singing or something. Oh yeah. And Boy Justice. Yeah, there's a kid named Justice. And uh Justice is like, I'm gonna be in the EF and I'm gonna save all my friends in the camps. No, not the camps. <laughs> what are they called, Jenny? They're, not called They're the camps. warehouse camps. Or They're way ups. <laughs> 
I was so convinced. Yesterday, Ted says to me, like, oh, did you have that typo in your book where instead of camps it says WAPS? I was like, I thought that was just what it said. So I looked in my physical copy. It says WAPS. Yeah. No, I figured because I have the one that I bought and it said WAMPS. And I was like, I hate this book. <laughs> I kind of love it. <laughs> it's like, I mean, this is also Jake's subconscious scraping the bottom of the barrel where yeah, he's like, like they're going to be called something worse wham- than camps in the future. They're called wamps. And then everybody in the dream is like, wamps. And you, you feel this like loathing and stuff. And then he wakes up the next day and he's like, really, wamps? <laughs> yes, that is perfect. Perfect headcanon. Okay, yeah, so Justice is like, I'm going to save my friends in the wamps. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta talk a lot more about justice. <laughs> yes, yeah, 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 we will. And Jake's like, okay, well, you might have to save like other people, not just your friends. And Justice is like, no, I'd save my friends first. And then later, when Jake's trying to make this decision, he's like, Justice would save his friends first, but Justice was a kid. And you're so, like, oh no, Jake, you're not a kid anymore. This is the tragedy. Right, this is why you he totally lets kids. Cassie die at the end. This is more support. Because he sees Justice as, like, his past self, and he's, like, matured since then, right? I mean, this is Maybe. part of, like, an exchange of many thoughts with himself. I don't yeah. feel like you can take just one No, I know. I'm this. saying, I want to put this... Yeah, yeah. But sorry, do we want to talk more about Justice and the Wamps? Um, justice so... and the Wamps. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be my new band, band name. name called... <laughs> you could be in it too, great. Yeah, Justice we'll and the Wamps. <laughs> All right, we'll have a bunch of amps, oh, and we'll just no. write whips on them. <laughs> so, um, Jake sees this uh, Justice drawing, because he's a good artist. He's like eight, as, but... As Justice kid, says, yeah. <laughs> the elders are always telling me, I paint allegories, whatever they are. <laughs> I'm working out my aggression and fears, they say, but I'm just painting what I want to. <laughs> to which Jake says, okay. <laughs> I actually, I really, I haven't looked to see if there's fan art of this, but I do want to commission so. Justice's yeah. uh, painting on DeviantArt if it doesn't exist. we can ask Justice to do it? Do you think he's around? We should, yeah. Okay. But I, I do want to read the description because it's pretty cool. <laughs> do you want to see a painting? My friends think I'm better at art than they are. <laughs> this is a great, a well-realized kid. Uh, uh, so the image was divided diagonally from the lower left corner to upper right. Below that line was an expressionist nightmare. A dark, angular city, jutting steel-gray towers, rising through a blood-red mist. A fog from which arms and screaming, agonized faces reached in vain for a sky they couldn't see. Above the diagonal demarcation was a different world, a cloudless blue-skied landscape. In the sky hovered a hot air balloon, stark white, like a sun. Extending from the balloon's gondola, crossing over from the joyful sky to the dismal urban abyss, was a rope, a cord thin as thread. On this rope were people, traveling upward, pinned to the thread like clothes on a laundry line. And as they crossed the border between darkness and light, faces stiff with frustration and rage softened. There were no smiles, but there were expressions of hope. So, I mean, it is a pretty subtle allegory, so I guess I can see why Justice didn't think he was painting one. It reminds me of, like, a Dixit card. Yeah. 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 No, come on, Justice. You know what you're painting. This is very clear. Stop denying it. Um, while we're hanging out with the, uh, I don't know, happy kids, um, would one of you please, uh, sing for me the song that they're singing? Not it. Oh, no. Ted's fingers near his nose, not near enough. Oh, yep. no. <laughs> um, is there any, is there any notion of what the tune is? No. <laughs> oh, okay. 
A mix of oral and thought speak voices singing. The oh, well, okay, so in. you just have to imagine the thought speak harmony. Right, I'll, I'll imagine. We that. are, we are. Yeah. That would be cool. Could you sing in a, if Alex morphed a human, could he sing and, and like harmonize with himself in thought that speak? That would be amazing. That would be really cool. Um, <clears throat> is it just this one bit? Yeah, it repeats a couple times, but yeah. Okay. Just it was the bit. first joyful sound I'd heard since waking in my cell. Oh, wow, wait a second to go. <laughs> Amazing. Definitely in my head. Oh, it's... wow, oh, wow, wait a second to go. <laughs> the singing stopped. Okay. In my head, it sounded like when um, Simba's running back to the Pride Lands. That's so... what it sounded like in my head, too. Yeah, there's also Jake doesn't dream about the Chi, which is like. A little bit offensive. The chi should totally oh, be here yeah. doing chi stuff. Or Cassie should have been like, and then we took the chi for scrap. <laughs> it can be even more That would never happen horrifying. to the chi. There was a, a section at the beginning where he Jake says, you know, we're the only ones fighting. And I, I thought, well, I mean, mostly. But there's also the chi, kind of, and the free hork and the yerk resistance yeah. movement. And Come on, Jake, it's not all about you. Yeah, I mean, you guys are doing the most fighting we have seen. But, like, mm-hmm. those other people are also mm-hmm. working on it. Oh, this is a total side note. You know, one of my favorite things was... So they see, the, like, Jake's in Times Square, and he sees all the advertisements, and one is like, you know, you can go back to the York home world, like, tired of the city. Yeah. <laughs> and the shuttles leave from this building that is, of course, not recognizable, because the Yerks renamed it. They renamed it the York Empire State Building. <laughs> <laughs> Yerks have no creativity. <laughs> I'm definitely picturing, like, I don't, I've never been to the Empire State Building. There's, like, probably a sign that says Empire State Building, and they just, like, wrote on, like, <laughs> duct tape. <laughs> they duct taped it and then wrote, like, Yerk and Sharpie right in Love front it. of it. Yeah. Well, they did we'll that in, like, every, you know. <laughs> this is the Yerk Chrysler Building. This is Yerk Penn Station. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can I uh, use that as a transition into the most 90s moment of the book? Yes. Sure, yeah. Let's talk about it. Please do. So um, Jake wakes up in this industrialized future, and he knows that he, he realizes that he is in New York because he looks out the window to a distant pack of skyscrapers. Two of the buildings look familiar, shimmering rectangles, twin towers, the World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. This must be New York. And then, like, a chapter later, one of them gets blown up and collapses. Wait, I, is that, I, I, was I it the World Trade Center? I think it's the World Trade Center. It's, it, it just says one of the, like, a recognizable skyscraper. But the way that oh, the... I didn't read it I didn't. I didn't that. interpret it that way. It might Though not have still, been, having a building collapse on itself in Manhattan. Yeah, that is true. And they wouldn't have the done The way that, that he yeah. describes <clears throat> the collapse was like... Well, they couldn't have. It was written before. What? This was written before 2009. No, no, no. Yeah. I just mean they wouldn't have done that. After. 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 Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. So he... So, I don't know. He was downtown somewhere near, so I thought it was, but maybe it wasn't. But it was like the tremendous skyscraper towering hundreds of feet, a fireball at its base teetered hesitatingly like a circus performer on a tightrope. My mouth opened in disbelief as the building's graceful, tentative sway gave way to decisive instability as the lowest 10 or 20 stories disintegrated in a cloud of dust. Then the entire structure sailed toward Earth, faster, faster, toppling in a single rigid section, falling, falling, then a thunderous concussion as the building ruptured and broke in two, missing the Chrysler building by what seemed like a hair. And I was like, I am getting flashbacks. 
Is the World Trade Center that close to it's the Trade Center? Yeah, no. it's probably not the World So, again, like, I was just like, oh, yeah. building collapsing in Manhattan. Like, yeah, I just, yeah, yeah, no. But, like, yeah. it is a very good description of what happened. And I was like, hey, and, like, the 2000, hitting. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a year too early. Yeah. Do you guys want to hear my favorite parts featuring Texans? <laughs> of course. No, but go on. We love those There parts. was some great... There were some great bits. So he he ends up. This is after he's in Times Square, where he sees that the ad on the your Empire State Building or whatever. Uh, <laughs> that's where the, that's where it takes off from. Yeah, yeah it's advertising but, the York right. Empire. So he State sees Building. the advertisement in Times Square, and then the echo of weapon fire died away and was replaced by a clacking, a clicking, clawed feet scratching over concrete, weird half whistled words. Snick Warner. <laughs> The loud, arrogant rasping drew snickering agreement from slobbering mouths. I edged around the kiosk, and sure enough, Taxons. A gang of them, six or eight, swaggering up from 42nd Street straight toward me. Bandoliers of energy ammo and handheld Dracon beams crisscrossed their massive centipede bodies. Horrific scars striped their bloated chests. Awesome. (laughs) And then he thinks, no Taxon encounter had ever ended well. Why expect something new? (laughs) Accurate. That's only part one. So these are these these badass Taxon gangs, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Taxon Special Force is what they're called. And when he decides to run away from the people who, who have fallen victims of the fitness policy mm-hmm. in the underground area, suddenly he, he's by a subway and he feels massive suction. I was being pulled toward the rails by an intense, all-consuming suction. I had to fight against it. I ran for the exit. I was barely moving forward, like that horrible nightmare where your legs feel like 50-pound weights. Uh Oh, like a nightmare. Weird. Mm -hmm. Or you're running through water. I looked down at the rails 10 feet below. They were covered in a dirt-packed ooze, seething and twisting with taxons. It was a living stream of taxons, traveling, legs pulled in, being sucked like lugers along an underground highway, red eyes jiggling as they flew past. This was taxon mass transit. And I was six feet from being sucked in with them. Horrible. <laughs> um, finally, the one thing that I think may... If, if anything could make me love this book, it is this <laughs> one description, which is he goes into the York cafeteria, um, a huge carpeted room like a banquet hall. Blue and red lights flashed and spun the darkness. Long tables lined the walls and framed a dance floor. Orf lifted crystal mugs of green brew into the air, chanted something incomprehensible, downed the liquid and slammed the mugs to the table. At the far end, a ring of Texans stuffed pot pie after pot pie into their mouths, <laughs> yes. cheered on by Hork Bajir. That one's funny. <laughs> the pot pies. Fantastic. I don't know. I've never, I've never it come this great. close to thinking Texans were doing something cute. But <laughs> this is very cute. I really Amazing. like the ones that are on leashes. <laughs> like dogs oh, yeah. they're the, the dogs of the empire's forces so oh. they like put them on leashes and tell them to track things like what these are se- sentient beings what do you mean they're like dogs uh, yeah oh, it's very funny i would also like to read on, so as much as the pot pies are a moment that i love uh-huh. the book also contains this absolutely abysmal sentence <laughs> oh excellent <laughs> How could I obliterate the chance that Kendrona would forever taint Earth's surface with its malignant rays? What? It doesn't make any sense, but I love it. Okay. What does that even mean? You it sounds like he's talking about the space goddess Kendrona. Like, <laughs> he knows the Kendrona rays aren't going to hurt people, right? Oh, it's so dumb. There was also a weird, like, oh no, a world with captive Andalites was no world at all. And you're like, 
This is a weird degree of like Andalite worship from the guy who's done the, a really good job of standing up to Andalites. That's a good point, but it is creepy. The, what he sees is creepy. He sees like a bunch of Andalites marching in military formation, and he's like, "Oh gosh, you know, like I, the Andalites have fallen too." Mm-hmm. Yeah, this no, is it, a weird would be, it would be. Yeah, yeah. But it's weird to get that sort of like Andalite purity. Like Andalites are above the rest of us. No, oh, no, captive Andalites it doesn't seem like something that would come from Jake at this point, mm-hmm. right? Oh, when. Um, Jake is in the subway talking to the guy who's like, ah, yes, casualties of the fitness policy. And he's like, your body is strong. You must suffer mental illness. And I was like, oh, this is, I mean, it's not really an answer because it's all Jake's dream. So who knows? But a potential answer to like, is mental illness a problem for a year infesting a human brain? Maybe Mm -hmm. some of them are. Mm -hmm. Still unclear. Oh, we find out that the Yerks... Again, in Jake's dreams, so who cares? But have <laughs> a pill that is supposed to allow them to better control like a rebellious human host. And Jake bursts out with, my name is Jake in the like <laughs> York transport, probably because he didn't say it at the opening of the book. So it had to come out at some point. And someone's like, just go to the clinic. If you're having trouble controlling your host, they'll give you pills for that. And so he pretends to have done that. And then when he goes into his job, he tells someone else and they're like, yeah, sorry to break it to you. Those pills don't really work. I was like, this is a great, like, 28 callback. (laughs) Is that the guy who was, um, like, yeah, it's tough. You know, my host used to work for the ACLU. Yeah. He keeps telling me I'm infringing on his rights. (laughs) (laughs) I truly love that. I did love that line. That was probably my favorite line. (laughs) He won't shut up about how I'm infringing on his rights. Awesome. I did so. I did feel like this book was like pretty well written overall. I think this is a ghostwriter who's done done a bunch of them and did thirty three. You know, some ones that I like. There were a few things that was just like, what? <laughs> so <laughs> really, this is that same scene. Um, he's Jake is talking to this Andalite who works in his office. They seem to grow stronger every day. The Andalite commented. His voice was calm enough, but his tone revealed more. And I was like, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I just I feel like if you're conveying emotion in your tone it's no longer calm like i don't know they seem to go stronger every day (laughs) (laughs) amazing i did i don't know (laughs) i did i loved how jake's office had um a group efficiency workshop peer communication skills conquest through companionship (laughs) just what an excellent mockery of corporate culture Yeah, there's no way a 15-year-old came up with that. <laughs> That's a great point. <laughs> You're right. Okay, then it must have been the ORF. The ORF have been spying on human corporate uh, <laughs> Just remember when he meets the ORF uh, for the first time. I think, I forget if he's just like, what are you? Or like something like that. But the ORF goes, we're the ORF, fool. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's like on whose authority? And they're like, we have our own authority. Right. I love that. Another like what the heck line was when Tobias is like, no, Jake, you're dead. And he's like, dead? Then how could I be free? And I was like, then what? What? What are you talking about? Do you mean that how could I be here? (laughs) How could I be doing the things that I'm currently doing? How could I feel alive? Like, how could I be free? What? That didn't make any sense Well, maybe it's like your choices are free or dead. Mm. So if you're, this is not how logic works, but yeah, it's definitely not how logic works. Perfect, perfect. Does it not dead imply free? Mm-hmm. The free dead binary. <laughs> if then not, totally random things. I like how when he wakes up in the morning, like his normal life, he's like downstairs. The smell of fresh waffles cooking. Dad. A woman talking about a doubles game. Mom. I love that we just are getting reinforced. She's just the waspiest person. 
<laughs> the iconic moment for his mom is talking about tennis. I like that he describes Cassie's voice as deep and young, cheerful and wise. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I had a couple more 90s moments. I had just two more 90s moments. Was was one of them about uh, how he wakes up like Tom Hanks in that movie, Vague? Yes, it was. And then there's one at the end where he calls it the Schwarzenegger thing, which I did not understand. <laughs> what Schwarzenegger? Oh, because he's all oh, buff? Oh, just that he was all, like, big and buff, and apparently a fully grown-up Jake looks like Schwarzenegger. I, I, the cover begs to differ. <laughs> he had a Star Wars Episode One poster oh, tacked yeah. to his wall. When he's in Times Square, he's like, not even close to the endorsements for Coca-Cola or JVC or Calvin Klein, I remembered. And I was like, what the heck is JVC? And I looked it up, and it's like, the company's been around, like, forever, but they're known for their VCR and VHS technology. Uh-huh. As soon as I saw the logo, I was like, oh, yeah, no, I know that logo. That's, That's funny. Yeah, that was great. I liked how, so Jake had apparently been to New York on a class trip, which that is quite a class trip to go on with people who are, like, younger than 13, because that must be when he had gone on that. Yeah, from California. Uh, And he says, um, his impressions of New York when it was an actual human place, you can shout Hamlet soliloquy or scream Limp Biscuit lyrics. (laughs) On the the train and no one will look at you. Yep. I do love New York. They'll look you over, but then they'll walk right on. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that turned out not to be a 90s moment, and I was really sad, when Marco is interrogating him, and he is, like, trying to channel Marco's humor but doing a bad job, Jake observes. It's like, you'll do just as I say, exactly as I say, or this taxon scarfs Cassie down in a New York minute. And I was like, I realize that's just a saying, but is that a reference to the Olsen twins movie? It's not. I was going to say to the Billy Joel song. (laughs) (laughs) I am old. The Olsen Twins movie was 2004, okay. so no, it was not. So yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much what I had. This is a very efficient episode. Yeah. Great. Since most of the stuff isn't really canon. Yeah. What can you even say about it? It was all a dream, and that's a stupid ending. <laughs> can I look at the cover for the next one? Yeah. 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 Okay, uh, it's a Rachel book. It's called The Journey. She's morphing into an elephant, and I hate it. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. really, <laughs> really bad. There's no part of this that I enjoy. Okay, all. I need to look at this. Mm, I like her dress. Okay. Yeah. Also, the okay, the, the middle picture yep. is really bad. Yeah. The it is. second to last picture is fine. And the background is very nice and happy. Okay. She's morphing <laughs> into an elephant. It's terrible, especially the second and third images. Yes, that is true. Rachel is about to go where no human has gone before. That is not helpful. Ooh. The inside um the inside cover, I think it's a foot, but it's stepping on something very gooey and pink looking. That actually looks like somebody's insides. I can't really tell what it is. And Rachel and a very tiny axe and a very tiny hork are next to this person's foot. I think that's what is happening here. It's very hard to tell. <laughs> okay. Um... Grace just tilting her head to the side now. Well, it kind of maybe looks like somebody's hand. Like the like the lines from a hand. Mm-hmm. But then there's gooey shit on it. So whatever it is, this person needs to wash their hands. For like at least 20 seconds. At least 20 seconds. Happy birthday twice, everybody. Okay. Um, okay, I don't know. Okay. Okay. Uh, the, I, I'm just going to go with it. The Helmicrons come back. <gasps> Finally, um, because I want to check that box. Oh off, my and gosh, that's why I'm they're so tiny. excited! And that's why they're tiny because they okay. got shrunk again by the Helmicrons. Of course, and uh, maybe yes. the giant giant anteater will also come back and I'll <gasps> get two boxes on my bingo card. Amazing! That's my prediction. Love it. Okay, I got all right. 
So where does Rachel go that no human has gone before? This is the magic school bus. They get real shrunk, and then she gets eaten, and then she's it's just like exploring the digestive tract, like a la magic. Oh school my bus. gosh, this is this is going to be so good. Okay, okay. Uh, this this that makes sense. Why this is my favorite book? How is it yeah. different? It's not my favorite book, but like, how is the dynamic with the Helmicrons different from last time? Um, this time they're angrier, and um, <laughs> there's a they're 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 back for revenge, and. There's only one ship this time, uh, and it's it's coming back to seek. Um, they need a new queen, and they're gonna get Rachel to be the new queen, but nice. by killing her, but dead. Yeah. Okay, yes, yeah, not free, dead. No, because they were like, she is the most like us in that <laughs> she is also often grumpy, so we're gonna kill her, shrink her, put her in the throne. Okay, but instead she gets eaten, and they go on a magic school bus. But instead, they style exploration of the digestive yes. tract. Oh my gosh, this is going to okay. be amazing. Okay, <laughs> this is whose digestive tract? <laughs> <laughs> what a great question. Okay, um, it is a great question. Um, okay, uh, yeah, who eats Rachel? Be, is the yeah. question. Um, it's going to be um, uh, Marco's digestive tract. <laughs> Why? Amazing. Um, because uh, he ate something. He ate a Helmicron, and they have to go in and get it out before <laughs> before the Helmicron shoots its way out. Of oh, that's, oh too that's too good. That's too good. I accidentally ate a Helmicron. Oh, my God. It's like the movie, like, honey, I accidentally ate a Helmicron. Like, <laughs> honey, I ate a Helmicron. I, so I will say, um, my memories of this book are probably fonder than it deserves. Okay. But I do have very fond memories of this book. Okay. Okay. That's my that's my <laughs> prediction. I am, as always, 100% right. I'm very good at this. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds <laughs> Queen good. of predictions. Okay. We'll find out all the ways in which you are right next time. If you want to find us, we are at anamorphology.com and at anamorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. They use a Star Wars plot because of this book. Star Trek. Oh, God.